Boom. All right, I am here with Alan Sakian, a man who realizes we need to update society's code. For our tech has evolved, but our hearts certainly haven't. The deeper you connect to Earth, the more you get it. And he speaks to many great minds within the synthesis of science and spirituality, as, been, as well as being well-rounded and internocular covering the world's most pressing topics with a focus on stewardship of the Earth and a synthesis of multidisciplinary knowledge doing his part to ever so awaken aspects of humanity to its collective union with evolution, creating an opening knowledge database and providing equal degree of economic freedom for everyone to self-actualize. I like this term self-actualize. This is great. This is like early kind of life coach self-help talk from the early 19s. I love it. It's great. It's a good term. Actually, what it was also used in as well was Lifespring. I don't know if you remember Lifespring from the 70s, which was... Uh, Self-actualize is a great word anyway. But it's good to have you here, bud. I'm, I'm, we're recording this episode of my podcast in person, and it's been a while since I did an in-person episode. Love it. And we're also, uh, it's love nice it. to have a visual component to it as well. So, yeah. fun. So, dude, it's great to talk to you, bud. I, I always love our conversations. Me too. I, also, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you uh, doing the um, research on the, um, the small bits that I write on, like, my website where I, uh, I do try and explain um, some of the most important pieces to um, who I am and what I uh, hope to bring as a gift. Yeah, what you're all about. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for finding that. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing that you're very good at, bud, is you're very good at putting yourself out there. So I was going to kind of initially ask, ask you that. Then my next question is going to be, you know, you talk to a lot of people and the networks that you've gained from that. But do you want to speak a little bit to the origin of you putting yourself out there and how it's come to be that you've had so many one-on-one -on -one relationships with people, many of which have been recorded? Like, when did you first initially start kind of putting yourself out there? Well, there is definitely this process that many people feel with being so hesitant to put themselves out there. Mm -hmm. And that didn't resonate with me because I, from a young age, just began putting myself out there. Um, and that's why the transition to doing these video was no problem. Um, mm -hmm. But even in young times, um, being so um, like relentless with um, growth through experience of putting myself out there mm -hmm. so it came in a different a couple of different um mo modalities um uh one of them was a um a, like uh growing through the fear of uh approaching somebody and being rejected sure yes. that was the that was probably one of the big ones if not the biggest one is just um uh going through so many tens of thousands of permutations of the first encounters that uh you just you no longer take it personally when it like doesn't resonate with someone else um and so that was the that was probably the big one and that was also a big part of like me um learning sales and um trying to give get 
give people things that um, that they may not have ever heard about and maybe resonate with with them. Um, hmm. And uh, it's funny too. Know. Most people, when they a lot of people never have heard their voice recorded much, and they don't like their voice when they first hear it, right? So I think you have to get over that barrier too. Of like, I don't like the way I sound. So in your early days, I'm sure that as you've recorded yourself many times through many conversations, and we'll get into what you're doing, but I, that's something that is definitely another hurdle or obstacle to get over. It's like uh, encountering others or, or initially corresponding with others about what you're doing and that you want to talk to them about the deeper things of the world and then also feeling like you're nervous about the way that you present yourself in doing so. Here's another way of of framing um, this is that um, if you truly um, have done the self work where you love yourself um, for me to look back uh, two years ago to the Alan that was doing these that was uh, nowhere near as uh, uh, evolved as I am now um, I'm still in love with that exact moment that was captured mm. even though mm -hmm. I was way less aware and way less conscious and way less evolved that, that's so funny because that's so true is you're also documenting your imperfections and i've yeah. said many stupid yeah. things on podcasts and some of them are publicly available and some of them aren't but it's all on the record right and yeah. you have to not be afraid of learning through experience through conversation and having it be on the record as the internet is written in ink as they say yeah so that's another element of not being afraid of oh, my first initial interviews are not good, or the, the conversations I had, or the, the questions I asked somebody were not as were rubbish. But you look through the evolution of self as you do these processes, and you will get better. And you see that. You see that. In, I mean, you, two years ago is not very long ago, Ben. Not very long ago. Come, come, wait. No, come, come, come. Yeah, come with, swing it in. My dear friend and colleague has joined us. Yes. So I just asked back. our good friend about him putting himself out there and the many, you know, the aspects of not being afraid of your early days of being an interviewee or being interviewed and talking to so many people about it and early things that people are, are fearing. <laughs> I had this interview from 2010 at a MAPS conference. <laughs> it was terrible. No, 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 no. It was with Gypsy Tob who does My Naked Truth and you do the interview nude. And so really? we're, at, we're, at this, we're at this MAPS conference and we're out in the, the foyer and, and outside and the thing. And I'm like, now? And she's like, yeah, okay, I'm okay. So is it in public nude? Yeah, so we just get our gear <laughs> off. Great. And they're like, the, the Hyatt Regency or something, all the staff come up and they're looking. And they're like, and it's like, oh, and then so I, I bury that interview. It's out there somewhere. That's funny. Like, yeah, bare naked. You, you, can, you can find it, I think, if you Google. That'd be different if it was naked at a studio, but if you're publicly naked, that's a little different, especially. Yeah, that's funny. But, um, you know, you've talked to a lot of people, man. So why don't you give a little bit of insight as to what you're doing these days and how the kind of evolution of your conversations, the many... Earlier when I saw you today, you said something that you've interviewed almost a thousand people. Is that correct? In four years, in yeah. Four, in the last four yeah. years, Alan's interviewed almost a thousand people or over a thousand people. Yeah. So I think of some of these seminal interviewers, you know, like maybe Jeffrey Mishlove or Charlie Rose or Terry Gross, and they seem to be very knowed learned people just through these many conversations they've had because when you listen to a podcast or listen to a conversation you kind of get downloads kind of but there's nothing quite like actually having the conversation it's almost like having the experience so speak a little bit to like how much you've evolved and learned through your i, I can't imagine how much you've learned through a thousand interviews yeah um earlier we were we were mentioning how important it is to be um completely um, 
uh, both uh, like fearless and also um, in love with the uh, approach of engaging another person in conversation no matter what their responses and not taking it personally if it doesn't resonate with them. Mm -hmm. So through training tens of thousands of iterations, just like your greatest deep learning algorithms do today, when you do tens of thousands of these iterations with people, with looking at their eyes, with l feeling their emotional states, mm -hmm. having empathy, building relationships with other people by caring about who they are genuinely and, and uh, trying to see what path they are to, their, to the, what gifts they're bringing to the world and seeing how you can assist, seeing how they can assist you. So that has been so instrumental since my earliest days of caring about these tens of thousands of iterations. Yeah. But people, people and their unique gifts are, are, are um, such, we were talking about this in our last episode, that nature is the best teacher and that what is nature? Humans are nature. And humans have these great, big, uh, catalogs of libraries stored within them of experiences with their families and their friends and their jobs and what they care about and their their experiences of ego death and interconnectedness and if you know how to socialize with other people well from heart to heart and ask these questions about the depths of the psyche you can learn the best like most nutritious textures of of experience and so it's so a big part of me starting it um also was uh several years ago um now it's been probably almost five years ago um i realized that uh there was nothing super cool going on on the streets where people were just taking a camera and a mic and just going like you know, what impact do you want to make in the world, right? right, right, and, right. and so I was just like, I'm going to be that guy. So did you start kind of your, the interview processes through this almost candid, yeah. I don't want to say ambush journalism, <laughs> but you basically <laughs> just cold walked up to people? Cold walked up to people. Really? It was Is so that great. how this yeah, an origin yeah, of how did. your show that came to that be? Was shows. Called, that show was called Practice Happy, and if people want to dive in, you can still find some of the archive videos on, on my website and mm. stuff. But yeah, it would be great. And I remember um, uh, Angel, one of the... Um, most profound responses was uh, that he told me about making an impact on the universe. He told me when I was 22, he told me, uh, um, you're not just here to solely have fun, but you have an obligation to enrich humanity. Mm -hmm. You have an obligation well, to enrich this the world. world. Yeah. Enrich the world, exactly. That's the problem with yeah. so much of like robot culture is people just want to be mindlessly entertained. And we all love entertainment here, here and there. You know, I'll watch a great film or, you know, stupid, fun TV show. But most of it's very fluff and very low resonant. And very few people spend their spare time learning things and improving themselves. So to be in an area where we find a, an element of wanting to spend our time doing something that fuels our true nature, but also is... <clears throat> In enriching to others is a special thing. And I think that you're yes, trying to yes. do that through having yes. higher level discussions and discourse with people. And it took a while to evolve there because from that uh, days of this, you called it ambush journalism, which is so funny. 
<laughs> Never heard that term. It's so yeah, funny. It's like just cold uh, walk up to yeah, people. Yeah, cold walk up to people. And it's great them. because, well, remember, we're talking about all these permutations of tens of thousands of experiences. Well, what happens is, just like with sales, when you go door to door and try and bring someone to something that they may enjoy, yeah. that what happens is once you get so many of the doors slammed in your face, it, you build immunity to taking things personally. But then there's also... Right. With when you do door to door, if somebody does really enjoy what you're bringing to them and offering them, you're getting their their social security number to test their credit. You're getting their credit card information, signing them up. So you build a really in just a couple minutes a really strong relationship with somebody in a short amount of time. And then same thing with this ambush journalism thing is that when you go and you want to like, hey, I have a couple interesting questions I want. I'm asking people um, when people tell you get. The away from me like then that builds resilience for you because you don't take take it personally you laugh at it we were laughing at it when those things were happening but then there were people that would literally sit with us for half an hour and they would start crying about their the fact that somebody stopped them in the middle of the busyness of the san francisco uh chaoticness and started asking them questions about the deepest emotion they've ever felt. Mm. And then they started opening up to us about grief and why grief is so important and how they have a community around grief and how there's not enough people that will openly be willing to talk to me about my mother passing and what um, and, and that type of thing because we're all so busy and running around. And so hearing this also at 22, just stopping random people and having that. Then that evolved to doing things like having <clears throat> Uh, watching a lot of uh, of like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan who were big about science communication and so mm. that was very inspiring to me albeit um, science and spirituality both have their own um, ways of harmonizing that I'm actually really ho honed in on now but that the the idea of being able to simplify something as complex as the inner life of a cell or something like the way that planetary orbital dynamics work uh, in some sort of a fashion of like, can I laconically put it in just a couple metaphors or analogies that awaken you to the beauty of the cell or the atom or the planets? And so that's what... Um, also sparked a fire under my butt to start being like, okay, you're a famous neuroscientist. You guys are um, up and coming comedians, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to host the science comedy show. It's called Eureka. We're going to have the comedians sit over here. I'm going to be a host and a moderator between the science and the comedy. And we're going to make this a game show. And we're going to ask the audience, a live like 100 seat theater audience, these questions from neuroscience or biotech or astrophysics or whatever, blockchain and crypto fields that it may be cannabis psychedelics. And so it was great to have um, this sort of interactive game show style of people getting to, to laugh, learn. And so then that opened up many doors because it started being like, okay, well, who do I know now in this field? Now they connected me to these people. And guess what? <clears throat> that became the Rolodex for sourcing the guests for this program. Huh. And so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> same thing with World's Fair. So there was a period of time where I was also um, helping produce a speaker stage at, uh, at conferences between New York and San Francisco, where we had 
uh, thousands of people attending these future festivals to try and get inspired. The keyword is inspired to build. And so um, I was curating the speaker stages. And so again, I was curating people to come and give you know, 15, 20 minute talks on these speaker stages. Again, that became the Rolodex. Again, simulation was about a little over two years ago was this obsession with all of these thought provoking questions and writing them down and sending them out to all these leaders that I've been mentioning and then doing something like getting responses from them and realizing that why is there no there's a Joe Rogan experience in LA where he sits down with different uh, leaders in the Hollywood area in the LA area but the Silicon Valley has so many great minds there's no one-on-one -on -one talk show in Silicon Valley yet. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, we're going to take this profound list of questions. We're going to take this one-on-one -on -one talk show daily format, mm -hmm. and we're just going to combine those and start doing it. And that's why around October 2017 um, was our like first live event. Then we did another live event. And then it turned into a daily show where we actually started doing it daily with all these different people. And sometimes we would do two shows or up to three shows in one day. Sometimes we'd go a week at a conference without doing a show. But so that's how this buildup of like 650, including our backlog of content right now in the last two years of interviews that are... Uh, that we've been learning from and most recently i was telling you both on the walk um, here into the studio that after going through these tens of thousands of permutations of one-on-one -on -one human individual interaction um, plus trying to dive into the depths of their psyches plus doing these thousand plus interviews and these interactions from ambush journalism to the science comedy show to the uh to the speaker stages to the one-on-ones here on this program it's time to uh, slow down and find the most important profound teachings that people have been teaching over the last couple of years and so to find the patterns to find the most um, unique ways of communing with the one trying to make that relatable disseminate that try and make that relatable trying to awaken more people around the world and so that's really this next um, big chapter is disseminating through multimedia um, these profound uh, learnings. And so that's uh, the answer there. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting broad overarch of the last few years for you. And it's funny to see how things evolve. A lot of those conferences and stuff can be very inspiring. You know, when you get to some annual event that people have put a lot of time and effort into to do something and you're there with people on your same wavelength and resonate with whatever the field and you go away and you you, you have this thing and you're pumped and it's like, yeah, this is great. It was a meeting of excellent minds doing cool things that are maybe all over the world and we haven't had as much interaction and we're in person. It, it, those conferences can be exactly what you mentioned, man. But I have a slight uh, superficial question and this kind of is for both of you. We'll start with Alan is that I have found that sometimes I suffer from not being seen that much. You know, you can be this voice that's heard. But I have my wonderful and amazing colleague, Rack, here, who we do a show together, and Rack is seen on camera, and people know him and, and recognize him. So what, what brought you to have the show be have a video component? Was it that aspect of also being seen? Because people identify very much with the face and seeing people, and I think when you see some of these very, like the world's biggest podcasts in the universe are also a video podcast, because people really resonate with seeing the face and seeing people talk. And in the sense of to that? egocentricity, like the Joe Rogan show, the Tim Ferriss show, you know, sure, it, the yeah. names are in there. The it's it's very the much title. about them being the conduit for the information. But it seems like when somebody's watching Tim Ferriss or, you know, even your show, a lot of people will bias towards watching simulation 
just to just see the faces talking, even though there's obviously just an RSS feeded podcast audio only component. So what do you got? Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? I'll hit you back some interesting thoughts about that. So um, actually, when it first, um, uh, you know, we were talking like five years ago, why even take um, the camera? Why not just take the mic onto the streets? Right. Um, What was really alive is the distribution methods. How badly do you want to catalyze awakening? Mm. Because if you really want to catalyze awakening, you will not choose solely audio. And I had, uh, two years ago or so, I had an in-person interaction with Sam Harris where I told him that, why are you not doing video as well? You have this opportunity, a gold mine, of distributing across YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn video, Twitter video, Instagram video, now TikTok mm-hmm. and Snapchat on video, Billy Billy if you want to go to China, which is, I'm listing platforms that we distribute on right now. Mm-hmm. And it's because if you want to catalyze the awakening, meet people where they're at across different platforms, plus give them the video component, which gets them deeper into your soul. When you get somebody to look at Niles or Rack sharing what you shared on this last episode, when they look at your eyes while you share, your mannerisms, all that type of stuff, yeah. they dive deeper into who you actually are. And so, but that's if they can, af- uh, um, Sometimes, because we do still, of course, share across SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. On, on audio, sometimes people listen when they're whatever, working out or in the car or whatever. So sometimes people don't get that, but the video component. But to make it um, broadly distributive across those platforms is a key. And so that's something I've carried over the last five years of broad distribution um, albeit in the most recent, um, it's not. We only landed on TikTok a couple of months ago. We only landed on Billy Billy, a Chinese uh, like YouTube style, like a couple of months ago. So, um, so, but we keep adding, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of work with only a couple people that help us part time to distribute this. So, um, that's also a big question: is where are your greatest numbers of efficacy? So if you can catalyze more of the awakening through the way that you're packaging shamans of the global village and distributing that where it's specific around purchasing the episode that took you guys so much of your souls to actually make, um, then that is your unique distribution method that may be catalyzing the greatest amount of awakening. But then can you juxtapose that simultaneously with what would happen if you did open source and rely on other forms of financing it. How many more people could it awaken if it was open source? Who knows those answers? That's why our content's never paywalled because we'd never want to even enter into that sphere where the things that we're learning are always freely and creative commonsly redistributable across other people's networks and platforms and things Mm. like that. On that uh, angle, how have you found the potential for sponsorship or advertising that is amenable to these ideas? And is there is there an audience enough that it creates a demographic that the advertisers can see that there's either a niche market or a gestating community which will support their products and if they're ethical products that align that's, with the community, which also helps that's the key. awakening, right? Yeah, yeah, that's key. The tough question. Have you, have you cracked that market? Yeah, it has to be ethically something. aligned, yeah. yeah. It has to be ethically aligned. You're not so going to sell advertisements for like fucking missile guidance systems. I, I, I've been listening to Joe Rogan podcast. It's like, and the first six minutes, the four main advertisers and in a in-depth, you know, download about the ad. Yeah. 
underpants. He's talking about underpants. And it's like, Tim Ferriss at least has like, I don't know, (laughs) higher caliber of advertisers or something. But I'm like, that's where the money is, I guess. One of my favorite podcasts is, you know, an occult podcast. And they literally advertise for like occult bookshops. And, you know, you you can find their niche in advertising. But it's, it's tough, man, because you're doing something that all three of us have had our shows and various resources. And it's like, yeah, how do you interface slightly with commerce enough to make it somewhat sustainable that you get paid a little bit or a lot? So do you want to you speak just, to that? You just, say, you just said a, th- a big key there, which is this uh, interfacing with commerce <laughs> side of it. Because, uh, yeah, that's that's the big key. because Arbor's commerce. It, be, because here's a way of viewing it, right? We find ourselves in the middle of Silicon Valley where everyone and their mother is talking about venture capital or angel money to raise for their businesses. And this is the same things happening in New York and all these other places where it's all about the, the raise, the financial raise. Give me the million dollar round and then I'll hire the people and I'll build the idea. If you talk to any um, venture capitalist or angel investor that's actually worth their salt, what they'll tell you is that actually only a very small percentage of ideas, art, businesses, science projects, all this type of thing are actually worth venture capital or angel investment. So another thing to keep in thought is that same sort of paradigm applies to uh, the art that we're making as well, where uh, sometimes it's not about uh, Niles and Rack getting uh, $100,000 so that they can build episode three with faster with another uh, person to help on the team and then to make the awakening happening faster. Sometimes, yes, that can be interesting to look into and see if that can actually catalyze the future you want. It's also very beautiful to realize that uh, Michelangelo took three years to sculpt the Statue of David, that these things are not instant gratification oriented, which you guys obviously know because these episodes are take a long time. Um, so the idea is, you know, him being patroned by uh, the Medici family, uh, there's actually a good amount of wisdom that exists in the ways that the tree systems the large trees sequester additional carbon, distribute that across their roots and fungal networks to smaller trees and seedlings that don't sequester as much. That same process of redistribution of inclusive stakeholding is not where our existing wealth infrastructure is like whatsoever. We have radical inequality because we don't follow that same paradigm that nature follows. So arts, like what we're discussing, this show, your show, many of the other, you'll see this coming up more frequently, but scientists are now finding alternative funding methods because how do you fund someone that's trying to figure out Alzheimer's or 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 cancer, or any of these other things where it's not something that's investable to get some sort of a payout. And there's also a lot of cancer with um, cancerous methodologies in that same space with building molecules to try and get rid of cancer where actually cancerous apoptosis many of the times occurs through very ancient modalities like fasting or other ascetic behaviors that can actually kill um, cancers early. So. Point being is that there's so many fields 
art, science, spirituality that are actually don't fit into the commerce model mm -hmm. and that we have to be willing to admit that I don't want I don't want you guys to sell your episodes. I don't want this show to be reliant on advertisers. I want people that are literally buying their 12th house in the Bay Area or their third yacht or their fifth Rolex. I want to wake them up. So instead of buying that property in the Bay where there could be three artists living in that property and then being able to work inside of the network effect of growing their art, instead that house is bought like a game of Monopoly. It sits fucking empty along with their other 10 houses while they live in only one of them 95% of the time. We have a crisis happening around the patronage, the needing to patron arts and sciences and spiritual leaders and create the functional, cohesive, inclusive stakeholding social fabric that makes it fun for people to do so. I bought the domain richpatrons.com. I haven't built it out. <laughs> But that's, an, that's, that's something I'm very serious about. Remember I was telling you guys before we started that something that I'm doing as I take this research and execution sabbatical is that I also deeply care about putting Shamans of the Global Village um, and all of my other friends that we've had on the show that, have, that are doing really profound things up on a site. Maybe it is the richpatrons.com site where all these people go. And then I direct my friends, our friends, and other people's friends that have millions of dollars to this site for them to go and donate hundreds or thousands of dollars to the people or maybe even have a housing component where they say, yeah, I have a fifth house in the New York City area that I don't use. And so here, I'll open up two of the bedrooms for artists or spiritual leaders to come and do their art there. Mm. Because it's not just about going to the mountain and doing your spiritual communion at the mountain. But it's about coming back to civilization with your enlightenment and with that wisdom, awakeness, and then sharing it to the others that then you can inspire them to go on their own journeys to commune with that one. And so that I think is this whole financial um, shit show that we find ourselves in with art and science. And another one of the big aspects is it, of it is if you have 20,000 subscribers on a channel like what we have here, if every single one of them potentially, I probably subscribe as simulation to maybe 100 or 200 channels we probably subscribe to on YouTube, I am down to pay every single one of those channels $1 per month. Hmm. I will pay all 100 to 200 channels that we subscribe to one, $1 per month. If you paid $1 per month to every channel that you subscribe to, our channel would be getting $20,000 a month. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I remember yes. hearing an old school podcaster named CMO, KMO who, had a, who has a podcast called The Sea Realm say that like 10 plus years ago. And you would never have to watch an ad. And you'd never have to watch an ad too, because he, there you yeah, go. Yeah, he said something to the extent of like, if everybody that listened to my podcast gave me a dollar, it, it'd be my full-time revenue, you yeah. know? And it's a very decentralized way of looking at it. And on that front, I, I know somebody that's a carpenter in Marin County, California, and he worked for a guy recently who owns literally every house on one street that's like a five or six house street, and the guy's a dick. So, you know, that's not making that guy happy by being a godzillionaire who's grossly off-balanced in his way that he chooses to spend his money in material overload and excess. And yes, there's a lot of wealthy people who do spend money in more intelligent and excellent ways, fueling the, being a patron of the arts to some extent. And 
a lot of people that are so wealthy get so much money that they literally need to spend it to you know not waste it for tax purposes and stuff annually so there are revenues where you sometimes occasionally see people being patroned in ways by either a centralized source or even better in decentralized ways so i think it is mature of you dude to say that through all of our struggles in commerce that you're kind of playing the long game with the show about how can this be something that i'm giving and in other ways getting back for maybe not directly immediately just financial but spreading insights that I care about through conversations that I would want to have and then also hopefully having ways that it can continue to be sustained yes. either earlier yes. through a salary or yes. much later. So It's so important for people to not fall, especially as artists, into those rabbit holes of I need money, I need money, 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 because it actually takes so much away from the process of the creation of the art um, in those early stages where you just truly have to pull a hardcore dedication to your art where uh, we definitely don't want people um, living without clean water and, um, and, and, f and good, healthy, nutritious food um, where they're sacrificing so much that they don't even have a roof over their head to be the artist, but that, that we have to really take into idea the way that art and science and spirituality will kind of in, interact and engage with commerce um, in new ways that are that are actually more about the ascension and the in the process of of enlightenment and awakening through those modalities and not so much about the quote-unquote embedded growth obligations which is a term that uh, Eric Weinstein talks about a lot about the economic obligation that all of these mega corporations have and universities have and even the show could have if we weren't smart enough to realize that we don't want to follow that method. We don't have an embedded growth where we have to have a staff of 20 engineers and 20 videographers and 20 editors and we need the 10 million dollars a year. Like you can be a puzzle piece that is only uh, that is a channel of 100,000 people that are watching the content. You don't need to be a 20 million person channel. So there's all of these different ways of, of viewing um, the harmonization of, of, of commerce and the next stages of economics with spirituality, science, and art. Yeah, not being so top heavy in what you do. I think about like something like we're in the Bay Area here as we're recording this conversation and Salesforce is this mega monster company that has like some 40,000 employees and I hear about how you know, 10,000 of them are 10,000 of them every day are just in meetings. And so you have these very top heavy organizations where it's like, oh, we were in the meeting about the meeting before the meeting today. It's like, I don't want to say, do all those people really need to be employed there? But when you have a smaller, more autonomous company that is bottom up, that's something like what you're doing or what, you know, we're doing with our show, it's, it's able to be sustained with much less resources. And I oftentimes think about, well, yeah. if you had infinite resources, even financially, and you can just have you know massive mega bitcoin and have endless capital what would you be doing with your days exactly. i think you'd probably be doing this show if you were you know a godzillionaire right yeah. you'd still want to be doing this show so that's it's right. kind of like that's finding your purpose in life which i know sounds a little wanky but like that's right finding what you authentically want to be doing what would you be doing if you had infinite wealth you'd be doing something similar to what you're do doing now and yeah. That's, yeah, that says a lot. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. And also just one other thought around this um, topic that rung a bell is that when we see all of these great minds that are having conversations with 
other great minds like these like these keynote fireside chats that happen like it kind of reminds me a bit of when like Mark Benioff talked to um, Tim Cook right at one of the at the recent Salesforce event that's what triggered this and I'm watching the talk and I'm like these two could be talking about such more profound things <laughs> that can catalyze way more awakening in our world. And so one of the big things about this program as well is how do we make these most first principled questions about the nature of this reality so deeply a part of the essence of not only the public at large, but also the leaders at all of these companies and nations around the world where they themselves become like at the UN talking about it, mm. at the World Economic Forum talking about this, at Davos, at, at uh, the, that fireside chat with Tim Cook and Mark Benioff that we just listed, where they themselves are talking about it. Because when they're talking about how much... Uh, uh, sales, uh, how much Salesforce is, is being used at Apple and how much Apple products are being used at Salesforce, it's like... It's all like mind-numbing. You mind -numbing. have so much yeah. control over so many people's worldviews and perspectives that if you would just... But that's part of the grand challenge that we're going through. Anyway, I know you so, probably have more. You know, ultimately, that's what it's all about. They say if you control the narrative, you can steer not just the conversation, but the consciousness which can see. If you limit that, and they're just talking about the mundane things, then people aren't, as you say, awakening. They're just reinforced into the capitalist ideology. And so the value of these conversations, as you so astutely said as well, is just like in nature. We've got to go back to that. That, um, reciprocal energetic exchange where the mother tree is nurturing with the nutrients the other trees that need it yes. in an ecosystem which is co-feeding itself and so the the ecology of ideas yeah. which is generated here has the potential to capitalize the consciousness awakening and there's a you know, there's a very short target window of his story, of history, where we've got one shot at this awakening. And so time is short, and if you control the narrative, then you are sucking the oxygen out of the room if it's not about things which are important. So these conversations is what, are, what is important yeah. as human beings, you know, it as is. our place in the, in, the, in the web of life. Yeah, and that's what I appreciate about your show, Alan, is that we don't feel... Like, you can't talk about real shit on your show. It's important to be able to have a real conversation, right? And that, like we just discussed, you should... We just have had a previous podcast before recording this one, and Alan was pumped. And so you should have a good... You should feel great after a good, enriching conversation. And I know people that, you know, don't really talk to other family members much, or it's this very dim, low-resonant, don't pry, don't ask a lot of questions. And to talk about etymology of words with, like, his story, yeah. history... You know, we talk. We look at the word "asking," which is really "as king," right? You, when you stand as king, when you ask questions. So, there's nothing like from a teacher-student relationship of being a, a wise elder and having a student that is asking great questions, and you're applying practices put into place by the teacher and this teacher-student dynamic. Yeah. So, you certainly are somebody, dude, that has formulated a lot of questions in your life, and you, you essentially, your what your job is is you're a professional of question, question asker. asker. Yeah. yeah, and you formulated, I know, this list of really juicy questions over the years. Do you want to yeah. speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Um, questions, um, the, Tony Robbins said that the quality of your life is the quality of your questions. And I really mm. resonate with that quote um, that, 
if you, and this kind of also ties us into like when you know how to interface with these tens of thousands of permutations of unique one-on-one -on -one human experiences, if you can go heart to heart, and then if you can ask a question that makes the person feel like you genuinely care about them, and it's a question that interests them. People love talking about themselves, um, and they have so many stories that they can share about themselves, but you have to have the genuine love and care and interest in passing an hour learning about them. It's like your Michelangelo with the Statue of David. Three years of each question sculpts them to reveal their essence. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well said. Yeah, well said. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. how long does it take? You have this master list of ultimate questions. Has that been as you've done many, many hundreds, if not over a thousand interviews? You've kind of cherry picked ones that have been you've really gotten juicy nuggets out of, and uh, formulated yeah, yeah. a list of yeah. some of these great questions. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That list. It's great because that list is the, it's linked in every single episode we've ever done. It's always at like the towards the bottom in our like list of links, so people can always go cool. and find the list. Um, and uh, it's interesting because the list, the evolution of the list over time is also cool because a lot of the questions initially. Uh, two years ago were not about the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. So people mm -hmm. know the truth that it's not Alan two years ago asking people about the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. That The truth is it's Alan at age 27 just in the last couple of months that mm -hmm. has been so obsessed with it that now it's every episode is at least trying to probe into that and, and trying to probe into this most upstream or root issue which is our feelings of separation and our lack of interconnectedness. So this Alan is only a couple months old. Those that follow the show know that. Mm -hmm. And so it's also important to be honest about that evolution and to never try and like fish back and like say like, oh, I'm up on a pedestal because I was thinking about this years ago. Mm -hmm. So the questions two years ago were about, you know, about like how do we uh, go through the process of actually uh, creating a, another space settlement like if we go to the moon and mars what do you do is it like the first person that lands there gets to become the fucking owner of it and they get to like run the government of it right and how long till we put a taco bell there yeah yeah etc and so so like these were like the questions or like like genetic engineering and neurotechnology was a big question two years ago for me because I was like, who the fuck's going to get access to this? Mm. We figure out who gets to edit their intelligence, their metabolism, um, their uh, eradicate diseases. And I was like, this is like, because I'm literally learning from all these brilliant people about this. And then I go, why are we talking about the ethics, the philosophy, the morals, the spiritual side of all mm. these things? Mm -hmm. And so that was this, again, this massive what I felt was imbalance to bring up the ethics philosophy morals spiritualism with the advance of the science and the technology and so that's really kind of what I guess you could even say um, my root my roots two years ago were harder on the sciences and the technologies mm -hmm. and then over the last couple of years it literally turned to um, the ethics and the morals and the philosophies and the spiritual spirituality rising up with it and meeting it. And so hmm. that's why, uh, you know, uh, albeit I did sit like my first 10 day meditation retreat, Vipassana when I was 23, so about four years ago. But um, even then uh, I needed that, like I needed that footing. And I think um, probably like 5-MeO DMT was also around that time for my first um, experience. And so 
the combination of those things as well was literally this tapping into what I didn't know was the word, the ultimate nature of reality or like nirvana mm. or whatever people want to call it. Um, not really having the nomenclature and the neologisms and stuff like that to be able to describe it, which now, you know, it's evolved to the point where I, I am trying to have words that describe it, symbols that describe it. But also I just want to experientially like, you know, hold someone's hand and drop in with them to such a degree, mm -hmm. eye to eye, where they themselves begin to feel the nature of the reality rather than using the symbols and the, and the words to talk. Yeah, it's a... Uh when you ask a lot of questions, you just learn so much. And I think part of asking great questions about great topics is expanding, you know, mind expansion. And one way that shows the fruits of that is that you're able to explain things you weren't, you didn't used to be able to explain, right? You have the language to describe things. And obviously, as we get into very high level metaphysics of that, things become very symbolic. And it's just allegory and symbolism, ultimately, as we get kind of codes of reality. But when you become more of a philosopher within self, you become linguistically better at describing things. So I think all of us are hopefully doing that process a bit through our, our are going through those processes a bit. And uh, that's beautifully said, dude. So I was going to ask you about themes that have been, you mentioned these reoccurring themes that have woven through the show over the years. And I think you, you already highlighted that through. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, uh, Rack and I, at least as some of your guests, have helped you uh, spiritualize the show. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, That's such an too. important point is that we sit on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. And that if we, if we truly humble ourselves and drop our egos to the truth of the interconnectedness of all, then we realize that we are a product of the, of the one, of, of the all, of that deep interconnectedness. So every single one of these brilliant people that we've had sit on the program, especially people like you guys, are the giants that make my world view what it is. Yeah, not to you know bring our egos into it, but I just mean it seems there's so much bad spirituality out there out yeah. there that yes. when you get into yes. people that have had experiences of spirit, it resonates in knowing having a feeling of knowing that you're what you're hearing is authentic and seeing that in people as your discernment gets better. You know, finding some random person who may not be famous, but they wrote some book on the greater ecology of the rainforest or something, and then you read their words and their material, and it's like it resonates, it pulls at your heartstrings. Yes. So I just mean in the sense that you've had many guests that have led you into matters of greater spirit. What, yes. what are some yeah. examples of bad spirituality? May I? Is there such oh, a thing? Perfect. Great segue. Okay. I've been, I've been, I've been, trying, to, I've been trying to actually make, make, make this into, um, uh, we were talking about the importance of visualization to help with this. Mm -hmm. If you imagine the yin and yang, and if you take um, the, the white side and you make the white side uh, spirituality and you make the black side science, and on the white side of spirituality, you have, um, and l let's just start with this, that the one itself is the truth, but within um, the one is great models. And the yin and yang are one of those great models within the one that help us understand the perfection. Okay. Hmm. Science and spirit, right? We've done a couple, we did a short clip recently on our channel about the perfectness of good and evil, right? About the yin and yang of good and evil. Okay, now let's do the science and spirit one. On the white side, you have spirituality. Within spirituality, you have this little black dot. And that little black dot is science. And it's the way that science actually helps spirituality. And I'll give you this example. Bad spirituality is when someone sells snake oil. That's bad spirituality. And um, 
then science helps with the process of making sure that what spirituality is teaching is actually whatever it can try and quantify, right? Whatever it can quantify is trying to do its best to assist with the process of showing the, the great successes and benevolences and efficacies and love that spirituality can cascade. On the science side, science also has on its black side, it has a little white dot in it. That little white dot is spirituality. What science has in its fuck-ups is things like when you unlock the power of the cell or the atom around 1953, what you have is both the code of life and biology, which is great, but you also have engineering biological malevolences. You also have, um, you unlock potential for, uh, for the, the fusion of atoms like the sun to give us free energy, but you also have the power to make a nuclear bomb. And so what spirituality does in that science side is it enables us to ethically, morally, philosophically understand where science should not be applied, which mm -hmm. is in malevolences in, in, in um, biological engineering, uh, nuclear bombs, right? Those are just two of the examples. But so that's how I've started to also um, see it. And I think it can, if, if viewed that way, those two can kind of harmonize and gel where they're learning from each other and growing and ascending together. Well, one thing too is you, you have outshoots which is similar to us where through many conversations you pull away themes and then you have your own pieces that you pull away from those themes like your talk on you know things not being binary and oversimplifications of things there's a lot of dynamics where many people do these superhero titles on some massive entire system being just purely bad or something you know saying that science alone is xyz at this and you know abc at that or vice versa with religion and oftentimes think of something like magic which is the aim of uh, of religion using the methods of science. You know, there's so many areas of gray with so many things, and a lot of things are very simple, but also have a lot of nuance and subtleties, and life's very gradient of gray. It's not just all black and white, like the yin, yin and yang shows. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's, it's really neat to see your process, dude, and your evolution, because I, I think that there's nothing quite like growing through the process of talking to people and then having a body of knowledge and insight that then you share either through future conversations or in solo ways through your talks and using your skill set of having past organizations with other people in your networks to be a speaker in with continuing things that resonate with you you know topics that you pull out of the show as it goes forward and evolves i understand um myself this show um the guests the nature of reality, all of these things better because people like you say, Alan, I would like to take my time out of my life to also um, interview you and ask you questions. And so it just helps my um, worldview and understanding when you do. So yeah, man. Thank you, Miles. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. But thank we'll you. wrap it up here. I, I, yeah. you, I have one more question after you ask questions. Well, I was going to say, have <laughs> you guys uh, talked about the, the name of the show and this simulation well, idea? Just me a question. The, well, Alan's show that this because current time of this recording is called Simulation, and I'm, I'm going to ask him the question, are we in a simulation? Because, Alan, we're just, we're just autonomous agents of the divine intelligence that are having this uh, interface with you, but we're not really here. We're not. We're your, we're your angels on your shoulders in the you know that, network don't of you? source consciousness. All those thousand interviews you've done they're not really there right all they're all you merrily 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 they're all Alan. one <laughs> deep pregnant pause <laughs>
not afraid. He's a man that's not afraid to have a nice, mature silence. So many people are scared of silences too in conversation. It's like being at some blind date and being terrified of silence. You know, that's another aspect of kind of immaturity within uh, communication. Great catch. So what's your answer, Ellen? Have you asked most people if we're in a simulation, every single one? What, what's been takeaways from this answer, or series of answers? <laughs> He's laughing, smiling, for those not watching the video. Um, have you been asked this question? You've asked this a thousand times. How many times has it been asked to you? Are we in a simulation? A couple, couple times, couple and times. the answer's evolved over time. Mm. I definitely um, would probably just um, recommend, um, my perspective is very close. Um, that answer is uh, very close to the episode that we did with Rack, um, uh, uh, Boz, Mariana, T. Ferry on all is one simulation theory. If you guys look up that episode on our channel, um, all is one simulation theory. Um, that one will uh, give you a pretty good um, idea of how. That's pretty ethical. What your thoughts are about what my thoughts are, and it's a, such a it's an incredible episode that my thoughts became more clear on it mm -hmm. by the roundtable we had with those four. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's just this classic process of building up um, who I am and how I think and how I feel about it. So hmm. um, it it feels like if. <clears throat> If we could try and you know use like fun words to try and um, understand the nature of the reality, and use the word simulation in it, I like learning simulation. Yeah, yeah. that's well said, man. Learning lab. Yeah, stuff like that. It's kind of fun. It's not just words because every culture has had you know samsara, illusion, maya. It's not that it's not real. It's just that it's not the only real. It's a real that's embedded in a larger real, mm -hmm. and that if you identify with the player in the game, you're not really getting what it is. And then the choice you have to play that game and to contribute, as you said, to the, in your being, not just to be happy, but to be adding something. It's aggregating this simulation, its own self-awareness, its own self-knowledge, its own self-evolution. Yes. You told me to say that. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you guys both so much. Is that is that rap? Are yeah, sure. Okay. Where can people find you, bud? Where can they locate you oh, in the in, in the mesh yeah. network of uh, the internet tubes? Yes, yes. The best place to find um, more on all these things that we discussed is uh, simulationseries.com. Also, youtube.com forward slash simulation series. If you want to follow on Instagram, it's also simulation series. On Twitter, it's simulation show. Um, so go and follow um, these types of things. If you want to check out the general website for myself, it's alansakian.com, my first name, last name, .com. And that's also this is my same handle across social platforms if you want to follow there. Um, and also for those that were watching on, on our show, um, go and check out uh, both nilesheckman.com and rackersam.com. Check out the Shamans of the Global Village. Also, their series. Um, we just did uh, another episode uh, that was talking about their second episode that's launching in spring 2020. So that link, again, is also in the bio um, for you guys. And uh, thank you for having me on. This has been super, yeah. super fun. It's fun to be on both sides of the mic, isn't it? Because I yeah. find sometimes yeah. as an interviewer, you will know more than the person you're interviewing. So it's nice to sometimes be flipped and be able to answer questions, right? When you're solely asking, it's nice to not always be on only one side of the mic, to have it yeah. bounce back and forth. It yeah. creates a nice body of work in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, 
cherish, like you, like you've said, Alan. I mean, we cherish these conversations, and what you're doing is a nice platform of an archive of great long-form things. And in 2018, I made Rack and I were talking about this on the drive down. I made a conscious effort to try and abandon most short-form things, just because yeah. it's so ephemeral, and you're not going to care about your Twitter feed when you're in the nursing home. There's a good way of using some of those feeds as tools to get information out and disseminate them and self-market. But ultimately, you know, we really like longer form things, like great conversations. Yes. Well, you can post all those on archive.org yes. before, after you, you know, before you croak and they'll always be there. Yes, yes. And that's a nice body of work, however you do it. And, an, an, and another thing, if you, if you think about this, your, like many of your most profound experiences in your life regarding stories that other people told you mm -hmm. were in the format of like, uh, like J.K. Rowling and like Harry Potter, like a multi-book, mm. multi-year saga. saga. Investment. S same thing with Star Trek, Star Wars, multi-year fan clubs, movies, books, right? So when it comes to something like the dissemination of the nature of reality to awakening and what I'm honing in my skills on for this next chapter mm -hmm. that I will be following a similar paradigm of the greats in terms of storytelling like that. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, good deal. Yeah. Fiction's uh -oh. always great to translate real information. So, uh -huh. yeah. Cool, buddy. Love you guys. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll see you soon. Much love. Sweet, buddy. We were exactly 57 minutes. All right, cool. That